Man, I'm excited um, to get to contribute to this DNA series. Um, one of the things that I'm, I'm excited about this series, because w- what it's really doing is just really casting vision about what we want to see and what we want to push our church towards. Now, when we think about the gospel, the gospel needs to be the center of our church. and We need the centrality of the gospel in our church. Uh, we need to be set on mission. That's what uh, J- Richard just preached on last week, that we need to be a family on mission. And today I'm going to preach on family. See, the reality is that, that the DNA can't be spliced, as we said before, as John said in the first sermon, preaching this series. We, we can't have one without the other. And so as I preach today, just remind ourselves that these things go together, that our church is built on gospel, family, and mission. So why don't you stand with me today um, as we get ready to read God's word and be encouraged by what God says about us being a family. And if, you, if you're following along in, uh, in, the, um, in the books, uh, the Bibles under your uh, seat, uh, please, uh, you can turn and open to uh, page uh, 637 um, if you're following along. And when you get there, just say amen. Um, we're going to be preaching out of uh, Ephesians 4, uh, verse 1 through 16. Amen? All right, I got to push this mic away from my, I'm loud anyway, so. So when you get there, say amen, please. Let me read from God's word. Ephesians 4. Starting at verse 1, therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you to live worthy of the calling you have received, with all humility, gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. Now, grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. For it says, when he ascended on high, he took captives captive. He gave gifts to people. But when he does, uh, but what does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower parts of earth? The one who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens to fill all things. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, equipping the saints for the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the son uh, of of uh, God's son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Then we will no longer be little children tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning and with cleverness in the techniques of deceit. But speaking uh, the, the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. From him the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes growth of the body for building up itself in love by the proper working of each individual part. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your grace and mercy, God. Thank you for your love for us, God. I pray, God, as as your word is preached today, that you would hide first me up behind your, your cross, Father. That there's nothing that good that comes from me, but what comes from you, Father. So I pray, God, that it will not fall on deaf ears as well, Lord, that every heart is being prepared by your Holy Spirit to receive, thus saith the Lord, and we would walk in obedience, God. Father, I pray, Lord, 
that every word that has been said in this DNA series, Lord, will be the, 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 the tenor of our church. It will be the theme song of our church. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would continually, uh, in, by your spirit, develop all the hearts of, and members of this church, Lord. So, Father, I thank you for this time. It's in Jesus' almighty name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Man, when, when, when you think about the word family, what, what emotions does it conjure up? I think for some of us in here, it probably ha- gives you warm feelings and joyous feelings. You remember, like, you know, maybe you, you remember with your family, you used to go get hot cocoa and you used to be by the fireplace, you used to open up presents at Christmas time. You know those times? Maybe it's when you skinned your knee and, and, and you were crying after you fell off a bike and you remember running to mommy and daddy's arms and being comforted then. But for some of us, man, family doesn't conjure up those joyful feelings. Sometimes it hurts to think about family. It brings sadness, hurt, trauma, or possibly even anger because of abuse and neglect you faced. The reason why a family is one of the pillars of our church is because we're all over the place on how we've felt about family and how we've experienced family, even how we thought about family. Amen? Some of us, you know, this is, comes probably from our culture, right? See, if we look at our culture, we see that the divorce rate is at 50%, and it's the same way for Christians as well. Fatherlessness is, is an epidemic, and, and you can see in even our communities, West End and the surrounding areas, that we, we need more men to step up and be fathers to their children. But some of it, and I think most of it comes from our own experiences, right? Some of us, when we hear the word family, we go running. If it's, it's like, if this is family-centered, we go running because it conjures up all these great emotions and feelings, right? Like going to Disney World, you know what I'm saying? Like, man, I want to go to Disney World because it's so family-friendly. But then some of us, when we think about family, we just feel pain, hurt, and we avoid anything or anything that's shaped or looks like family. But see, even deep down, with people like me who, who grew up in a broken family, we want the nurturing love and connection that family provides. Amen? The reason why I'm preaching this sermon is just to help us as a church on our journey to realize that we are called to be a family. The church is not like a family. As John said, we are a family. And, and Jesus says this in Matthew 12, 46 through 50, when he said his disciples are his family. And Jesus also said affectionately that we should call God our father because he adopted us as his children. Even Paul calls the church in Galatians six ten the household of faith. Church, we are a family. Our hope is to redeem people's view of the family. That's what this church is about, to redeem people's view of the family. We are to be a distinct in our expression of a family, to paint a beautiful picture of our holy God. But here's the thing. If we're going to live like this, if we're going to live like a family, we need to understand how a family functions. Amen? We need to think about, you know, we need to think about what the purpose of a family is. See, family is just not about a shared heritage or connection. Family is where we grow up. So the bottom line for today is family helps us grow up. That's the bottom line. Family helps us grow up. And see, here's the ingredients to a family. First of all, family is unified. The second, family is a team. And the third, family is supportive. 
Now, when we look at the book of Ephesians, there's two halves to this book. There's, ver- there's chapters 1 through 3, and there's chapters 4 through 6. In the first half of the, of, of the book, we see the gospel display, the reality of the gospel. That's what John preached out of when we looked at chapter 2. It's the good news in light of bad news, that Christ came and redeemed sinners. Amen? Listen, y'all, there can never be a church without the gospel. That's what unites us, right? That's what God did on the cross. He united us and he united us as the church. But in the second half, we see that we're supposed to live in light of this truth, the gospel. Just looking at verse 1 in chapter 4, it says, Therefore, I, the prisoner in the Lord, urge you to live worthy of the calling you've received. I love this language. Paul is identifying himself as the one who has been held captive by the reality of the gospel. He then pushes us to live in the same word. It says he urges us to live in a way that is equal to the impact of the gospel in our lives. Listen, the gospel made dead people alive. That's what John preached, right? And he defeated sin and death by his resurrection. And this is the power of the gospel to make dead things alive. We need to live in a way that reflects the reality of being made alive. Amen? See, we're not called to passivity in this, in this, in this verse. We're not, we're not in, this, in this chapter or this, these 16 verses. We're called to activity. We're called to live in a way that displays Christ's love to one another. In the same way Christ embraced you, we embrace one another. This is why my first point is vital. Because he shows the most vital ingredient to a family. My first point, family is unified. Just look at verse 2 through 6. With all humility, gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all through all, and in all. Church, our unity is the main ingredient to our family. This text tells us to keep the unity of the Spirit. Our unity is produced by the Spirit and maintained by us walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me say that first and foremost. We need to walk in the power of God's Spirit, and we need to be active to keep the unity in the church. Here's the thing. Relationships are hard. Amen? Come on, I got an amen there. Amen. Y'all with me now. And it's hard to keep unity, especially in a church that's as diverse as ours. Look around the room right now. Just look around and see the different ethnic groups. See, see the different people in this, this church, and friction is bound to happen. Our customs are different. Listen to this. Our politics are different. Amen. Our communication is even different. How we say hello is even different in this room. Amen. I say, what's up? You say, howdy. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> This is why it's a command to make every effort to, to keep unity. Paul in chapter 2 is kind of foreshadowing something for us if we look back at chapter 2. And he tells us why it's hard to keep unity. In chapter 2, we see this beautiful reality of the gospel. Then we see how the gospel, uni- gospel unites people. And what does it say about those people? They were hostile towards one another. They didn't like each other. See, we can't be romanticized like this is a romantic comedy or something. You know what I'm saying? People did not like each other, and God called them to be family, to love for one another and and nurture one another and care for one another. 
here's the thing. God, even in chapter 3, um, Paul in chapter 3 is, is even praying. He said that we would be rooted and established in love. And that's how, that's how powerful the gospel is supposed to impact this. That two people th- that don't like, two people groups that don't like each other now can become one family. So here's the thing, but we're bound to have issues. Here's the thing. These people were sinners. They were new believers, right? And, and it was bound to happen that they would have friction and, and tension. See, here's the thing, church. A lot of us don't realize that issues are bound to happen in the church. We're bound to have conflict. We're bound to have some type of drama. Some of us want to be like Mary J. Blige. No more drama in our lives. Amen? That's what we want. We want to be like Mary J. No more drama. Okay, you know what I'm saying? But that's not what Christ is telling us to do. He's telling us not to run away from the drama, but he says run towards it. He said we run, into, we run toward relationships in a way that produces unity. Look at these qualities. Listen in, in verse 2. He says we are, these are the qualities that produce unity. Humility, gentleness, patience. Bearing with one another in love. Listen, humility is not just thinking less of ourselves, but thinking of ourselves less. Here's the problem that most of us need to face. The problem inside of you is greater than the problem outside of you. Sometimes we look at people and say, they're the problem. You're the problem. Your attitude's the problem. We don't understand. We're always the hero in our own narratives. We're always the victims, don't we? Nobody, nobody is, not, is the bad person. Most of the time we're not, right? And see, here's the thing what he's telling us, that we need to think about ourselves less. We need to be focused on others' needs, not our own needs. We need to be sacrificing our pride on the altar of loving one another. God's not concerned about your pride. He wants to crush it. And we need to allow him to do so. Gentleness. It's not about weakness, right? See, we think, we, we think about gentleness. Oh, I got to be soft. I got to be somebody's step stool. You know what I'm saying? We think about going to be somebody's rug and people are going to just step all over me. No, it's about restraint. It's about not saying things that you think you should say, amen? Some of us, man, we use words and, and that are so callous and, and dehumanizing towards people and not just into their face, it's behind their backs. Man, I love what Diedrich Bonhoeffer had to say. I didn't put this in my notes, but I'm going to say it. He said, man, before we even ought to, to say a word against a brother, we need to be praying for them. How's your prayer life for people before you speak ill of them? How often do you pray for people who you speak ill of? We go on to patience. Patience is not just a a tolerating people. You know what I'm talking about. You know, when you're at work, you're like, man, I can't wait till I get home. They fall crazy. You know what I'm saying? That's how we think. Maybe that's how we think about the church as well. I can't wait till I get out of, man, boy, I'm just going to hang out with my real friends, my real family. No, that's not what he's saying. But also patience is, is, not, is, is, not, is not about you, again. Patience is, is, is that we don't, we, we, we're not just putting up with people and their imperfections, and we're pointing out their imperfections. It's, it, here's the thing. Patience is about having God's timing for people to change. See, we want people to change for us, to make our lives easy, amen? Man, I wish my kids would make me, my life a lot easier, amen? I wish Josiah and Elisha would wake up like Oompa Loompas, happy to do their work. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I wish they would just be like, hey, daddy, how you doing? You know what I'm saying? Go, go eat some, you know, eat their cereal. Hey, daddy, I love this food you made. I wish my kids just operated to make my life easier. Amen? But they don't. <laughs> I wish they did, but they don't. 
my kid, my, see, here's the thing. We need to be slow to pronounce judgment on people, especially your brother and sister, when they're not operating in your timing. They're not growing as you think they should grow. That brings me to the next one, bearing with one another in love. The Bible teaches, man, when we see a brother or a sister struggling, we don't, we don't just run away from them. We run towards them in a helpful way. Man, look, we don't just stand by looking just like spectators. No, we involve ourselves in their lives. When we see people grieve, we help them grieve. The Bible teaches that we rejoice with one another and we, we grieve with one another. Amen? Man, even if, the, even if somebody's life is out of control and you're like, man, look at this person. I don't even want to deal with them. No, God says we bear with one, one another in love. Love is not a feeling. It's, it's what we do. It's the attributes of what we do, being gentle, loving, caring. Man, these attributes are even, even embodied in, in 1 Corinthians 13. Man, Jesus has given us every reason in the gospel to live this way. Listen, Jesus embodies these qualities. Jesus in the gospel did not treat us as our sins deserve. But he, was, he humbled himself. He was gentle with us, patient, and he bore our sins in love. This is how Jesus treated us. How dare we as Christians don't treat each other the same way? Especially those in the household of faith. I think we want an easy Christianity, don't we? Do we really want to grow up? Do we really want to grow up? Because if we, if we really want to grow up, these characteristics are going to be growing in us. See, family is not about what we get out of it. See, you, what, you get, what you put into family is what you really get out of it. Let that sit in a little bit. What you put in, when you put in uh, humility, when you put in gentleness, when you put in patience, when you put in bearing with one another in love, you start to grow in those areas. When people are difficult, this is how you, God wants you to grow. He wants you to mature. Family is not about your consumption. It's about you growing up. It's about your maturity. Think about somebody right now in your life right now, maybe in the midst of this church. And you're thinking about, you're so looking at how immature they are, but you need to be looking at the qualities that God is trying to, God is trying to help you embody. Church, I, I want to be clear that we should be building each other up. See, here's the thing. Family is about commitment, and, and, we, and I believe commitment is best expressed um, uh, through our membership at our churches. That's what we're talking about. The membership at a church is just saying, I'm committed to help one another grow and mature in the faith. I'm, 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 I'm going to commit to endure some hard things for the sake of the unity of the spirit. Man, we should be building and actively building, nurturing and loving relationships to help us live in love like Jesus. See, here's the thing. If you're coming to church and you're not expecting to build those type of relationships, then you're missing something. I think you're missing out what God wants out of you for your life in the church. See, family is God's plan A. Church family is God's plan A for your spiritual growth, not your personal quiet times. Let me say it again. God's plan A is for you to live in committed community with other Christians, not your own quiet times. Now, quiet times are fine, but you'll never know if you're growing. You'll never know that you're more loving in your own personal quiet times. You can fool yourself, but you'll never know that you're more loving. Listen to this. I, I love how Paul, in the first three verses, tells us the how to keep the unity. Now he follows it up with the why in verse 4 through 6. I like Simon Sinek. He always says that every organization on the planet knows what they do, how they do it, but he also says 
if you are going to be an organization, and I don't want to treat the church as an organization because we're an organism, but if we're truly to inspire, we need to know our why. And I believe in verses 4 through 6, it expresses the why of the church. Why are we unified? Look at verse 4. It says, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. Paul points out seven one statements to emphasize the oneness we share in the gospel. He is describing the unity that each of the three persons within the Godhead creates between Christians. God creates unity in the church to serve as his ultimate picture of himself. Listen, to it. look at John 17, 21 says that we should be one as God and Jesus are one so we can display the gospel to the world. That's, the, that's our why. That's why we're unified, so we can show a beautiful picture of God to the world. That's why God has us unified. That's why we fight for unity. What God is saying in the same way that God has, has given us life and brought us into the family, you are reflecting unity and harmony that is in our God. See, here's the thing. The Godhead works in harmony. He's eternally unified. God's unity is unbreakable. I love what John Stott has to say about this. He says a Christian's relationship with the church is, is unbreakable as the relationship between the triune God. Listen to that. We should see that God, what he's created, in all his greatness, has created a unity that is not for you to say, I'm going to break fellowship with the church. God created it. You can't break it. It's not for us to do. See, friends, that means Christians shouldn't live in isolation. Church is not optional for a Christian. The church are, is the Christian body. Too many people ask, can I be a healthy Christian and not live in committed community? I, I think I want to stop there and I want to understand what membership really is. Re- membership is all about commitment. It's not written in the Bible. You won't see membership in the Bible like, hey, turn to chapter so-and-so and, and verse so-and-so. There's membership right there. But membership is expressed through our commitments to one another, our responsibility to one another, and our authority in each other's lives. That's what membership means, that we're growing together. Here's the thing. Y'all got to see the church is a gift to you. The church is a gift to all of us. It's a, it's a gift given by God. So, man, we are incredibly privileged to be a part of, of God's local church, to be a part of God's beautiful plan, to gather people under Christ. That's God's beautiful plan. So we need to walk in humility, gentleness, and patience, and love, keeping the unity of the Spirit, and it, so people will acknowledge God's power. We have to recognize that we are to reflect the harmony of the Godhead. Man, so much can be said about the reputation of the church. Amen? So many people walk into churches and they see cliques. And we all clicked up, all saved on, and serious. Boy, anyway. <laughs> We all clicked up. We all, we got everybody around. Everybody's kind of like, hey, we want you to be a part of our fellowship. But they're like putting the paws on you. You know what I'm saying? We all feel kind of like slighted by people in the church. We feel like they, everybody has their little group of friends. And so what, we're, what I'm saying is we, we feel like there's partiality in the church. Amen? But man, God is saying this. Now, there's no partiality in the church. God's saying that we ought to reflect our, our unity, the unity of the Godhead. Look how God works together. Jesus glorifies the Father. The Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus. No one is out for their own interests. 
You don't come to church looking to get something out of it. You come to church looking to see what you can put into the church. Too many of us come to church as consumers. Here's the thing. Cornerstone, if we could do one thing, is kill consumerism in our hearts. We don't need a consumeristic church. You're trying to get something out of the church. Again, what you put into the church is what you get out of the church. Let me be more practical. Uh, we, need to create, uh, we need to create displays of God's glory in producing unity. We need to start making friends with people who look different from us, who don't have our same interests, who, who, you know, who don't like the same things we do, who don't look like us. Amen? Look around this room. See the diversity in this church. Look, we have ethnically, generationally, relational status. Amen? Um, economically, and the list goes on. See, diversity is not embodied by what we do on Sunday gatherings. It's embodied what we do every day or other day of the week. If your friendships always seem to be the same type of people, then you need to look at, are you really displaying the glory of God in the church? How, how are your close relationships looking, huh? Who are you most close to? Are they people that just agree with you? Or are they people who have a different perspective of you? We need people to help us, to encourage us, to build unity in the church. Let me ask this question. Do your relationships look like the, the power of God in your life right now? Do they look like the power that God is bringing to people that were hostile to one another and now building two people that love one another, who are nurturing and caring for one another? That's what God wants out of our relationships. Man, I have, I've had conversations with members in this church where I've seen the wall of hostility being torn down. Their preferences and their prejudices have been torn down. And it's, and it's a remarkable display to see the gospel at work in their lives. They once thought things about black people. They once thought things about white people. But see, I see God uniting people in faith to tear down those walls. We've got to celebrate this. I'm not talking about a superficial unity, y'all. I'm talking about real unity where we deal with the hard things in life. We are not to sit back and be passive. We're called to spare no expense at keeping unity. Unity is the basic building block of the church. My charge for our church is to keep unity, to fight for unity. Look at the progression of verse 7 and 12, though. It's interesting. There's a shift in focus. Paul gives us the main ingredient, which is commitment to keeping the unity. Then he starts to show us how individually we play a part. This, this phrase in verse 7, each one, is displaying how each of us individually play a part. Let me read this, uh, the, these verses. Now, grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. For it says, he ascended on high. He took the captives captive. He gave gifts to people. But what does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower parts of the earth? The one who descended is also the one who ascended far above the heavens to fill all things. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, equipping the saints for the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ. And that's a tongue twister, ain't it? Amen. But what's, seen, what's being said here is that the church is a family. See, what do I mean by team, though? Man, I'm, I'm a big fan of basketball. One of the, the sports I love the most. I grew up watching the Cavs in the 90s, and so I love basketball. That's when they were really good. At that point, then, you know, something happened. I don't know what happened, but I'll tell you, they got really bad for a little while. Until LeBron, amen. Uh, 
But one of the things I noticed about this, the tenor of, and, and, and the culture of, of now professional basketball, maybe all basketball, is this, this formation of super teams. Amen? Come on, y'all. I've seen it. Now, I'm not going to hate on super teams because uh, we've benefited from them. Amen? Uh, as Cavs fans. And, uh, but here's the thing. These super teams are just people who are at the peak of their, of their athletic ability banding together to win a championship. That's what they are. But here's the thing. We've seen that super teams don't always win, do they? Let's throw back to 2011, Miami Heat um, against the Dallas Mavericks. Super teams don't always work out like they're supposed to. But here's the thing. They fail to be unified most of the time, and they fail to work as a team. See, God gives diverse gifts to his church to build up the church. The church is a super team. We're empowered by gifts that have been given by the grace of God. We're a super team. We're given spiritual gifts to help each other grow. In, in verses 8 through 10, we see this discourse, and I'm going to explain it a little bit, about Christ descending us and ascending. Well, this is simply saying that Christ is victorious, that he came down to earth to accomplish the work of salvation, his death, burial, and resurrection. And through his work, he is victorious. Now, this is a quote from Psalm 68 we see in this text. And this text is a, a hymn of victory that Israel was singing and after they defeated their enemies in battle. And when they defeated their enemies in battle, they would give gifts. They would, they would share the plunder that they, they would get. And so in the same way, when Christ defeated sin and death, he gave gifts of grace. That's beautiful. Richard said this the other week that God has been gracious in giving gifts to this church. Amen? He's been, he's been generous in giving gifts to the church. Amen. Jesus in his authority has given gifts, uh, that we, and we're supposed to use them to build up the church. Man, we are supposed to use our gifts, church. I know Richard said something last week, but I'm going to say some stuff today. Because here's the thing, that when God gave gifts, he gave them generously. And when God gives us gifts, we're supposed to use them. Here's the thing. Most of our gifts are like trophies in a trophy case. We're like sitting up on collecting dust, monuments of past things we once did. Amen. I was once a great Sunday school teacher. I, was one, I once served the church so well at one point in my life. I once gave all my gifts and talents to the church. But now we don't do much anymore. We kind of come to church and say, man, I'm burnt out. I shouldn't give. I don't need to give anymore. Now, I don't want to hate on that. I don't want to say that people can't get burned out in the church. But here's the thing. When God gives you a gift, he wants you to exercise it. There is no retirement age for using your gifts. Here's the thing, church. When God gives us this beautiful grace that he gave us in Jesus, he wants us to use our gifts. Let's look at 1 Peter 4.10. Listen to this. Just as each one has received a gift, use it to serve others as good stewards of the varied grace of God. Our gifts are about stewardship. When God gives us something, then we better use it. Our gifts are not to serve ourselves or to be put on our resume as list of things that we are doing so well. But they're, 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 they're gifts to be serving one another, to help each other become like Jesus. Here's the thing. We are to excel at the gifts that build the body. That's what God wants us to excel at, that, that gifts that build the church. See, sometimes we don't realize how the gift of generosity or helps could really be an encouragement for people following Jesus. But they are. I don't know about y'all, man. Y'all ever been down in your luck and y'all wonder how you're going to pay that bill? 
I know I've been there. How many people been there before? How you like, man, I, Lord, I don't know how, how I'm going to work things out, how two ends going to meet. And that church mama come up to you. You know what I'm talking about? She come up and she put that $100 bill in your hand and said, baby, the Lord told me to give this to you. I don't know about y'all, but I get encouraged, Lord. <laughs> the Lord was watching out for me. God remembered me. The generosity of this woman who said, the Lord told me. She was operating in her gift of generosity, and, and it encouraged me to, to, to believe that God is still good. Doesn't it do that when somebody helps you out, and you don't expect help to be coming from members of the church? It helps you trust God more. It helps you love the church, his body more. So many examples in this church where I've seen people be helped out and be encouraged to be members of a church, to love Christ's body. Man, I get excited when I see that happening. Here's the thing, y'all, though. Member care ministry is not just about what the deacons do or what the pastors do or what the connection group leaders do. Church, church care ministry is about what we all do. There's no spiritual competency test to help care for somebody. We don't need to come to some or arrive at some level to care for somebody. If you're a Christian, then you have a job. But there's so many gifts even in this church. And, man, here's the thing. I'm not trying to point out just anybody, you know, just not, and, and leave people out. But I see people like Blair, who has the gift of encouragement. Amen? Haven't we seen that? People like Kim Gillespie, who, who has the gift of teaching. I, I see people like Oz, who likes to serve, who has the gift of service. I see people like Renette, who has the gift of knowledge. And I see people like, like Sylvia, who has the gift of mercy. And you know what? I see these gifts because they're using them. They're using, they're operating their gifts to help build the church. Here's the thing. Richard said this last week, and I think it's important. We don't need a spiritual assessment test. It gives us an awareness of our gifts, but gifts are not to be realized, but to exercise. We need to exercise our gifts. God has generously given them to us, and so we need to use them. We're not only given generous, uh, gifts generously, we're also being, being given diverse gifts, um, uh, diverse, uh, diverse gifts, but also we have diverse responsibilities in the family. Verse 11 shows us a list of responsibilities that God has given to the church. Man, see, here's the thing. If you don't see yourself in this list in verse 11, don't get worried. There's like three or four lists in the Bible that talks about the, the gifts of, that God gives his church. And they're all not exhaustive, but they're trying to address something in the issue that's in the church. And to give a little bit more clarity of what these roles mean, see, apostles and prophets, they were foundational. They were called to found the church and write the scriptures. Evangelists, this is how the gospel spreads and how it expands. Pastors and teachers, they maintain and advance the local church. See, responsibility is different in all families, right? Even responsibility and authority is different in all churches. Uh, listen to this. The, the gifts that are listed here, are our leadership gifts. And their primary role is to teach, to serve God's people, to instruct God's people. See, here's the thing. We're supposed as pastors to use our gifts to help serve you guys so you can serve. That's what we're supposed to do. God gives leaders, particularly pastors, to help equip the saints for the work of ministry. That you can exercise your gift so the church can grow. That's what God has called us to. Listen to me, sound teaching is important for the church. It's vital to the church. It's, how, it's essential to the church. 
See, here's the thing. Great programs but unsound teaching is like a Tesla with like a Yugo engine. It just doesn't work very well. I'm just being honest with you. If we have unsound teaching in the church, our churches will not function. If the Bible is not authoritative in the church, it's not a church. The Bible has to be authoritative. It can't just be anything somebody says. It has to be scripture. When we get up on stage, we address the church how they should live according to the Bible. And you know what the church's job is? The church's job is to implement that in the life of the church. The thrust of this passage is how we work together, how we will work together as a team. See, here's the thing. Ministry is not done by a select group of people. Here's the thing. I, I, you know, I love the gift of evangelism, but here's the thing. I don't want a church full of just evangelists. I know everybody's called to do that, but I don't want somebody, everybody just say, hey, let's go out. We need people who are gifted at hospitality to invite people into community. We need people who are administratively gifted to help organize things. And here's the thing. Make sure when we see people serving in their gifts to encourage them, church. We've got to encourage. When we see people operating and loving people according to their gift, we've got to encourage them. Here's the question for you guys. What are you doing with your gift? How are you serving in the church? Here's the thing. You don't need my permission to serve how God wants you to serve in this church. I want you to know pastors aren't aren't lording over you. We're to serve you. My job is to serve this church to make sure that everybody can live out, live up to God, Christ's fullness. That's my job. And that's Richard's job, and that's John's job. What, the, the thing that we want to do the most is help you realize how you can manifest your gifts in the life of this church. Please come to us and talk to us. First, we said the family is unified. That's the, that's the, the main ingredient. It's like the sugar to the cake. You know what I'm saying? Sugar to the cornbread. Some of y'all like your cornbread sweet. Um, Second, the fam- a family is a team. And then lastly, a family is supportive. We have to help each other mature. In verse 13, Paul uses this phrase, until we all reach. This is the goal, that none of us becomes mature by ourselves, that we all become mature together. Here's the thing. I'm, you know what? I'm from Cleveland, so I don't, I don't uh, care if y'all get sick of me talking about LeBron James, because I'm going to talk about him again. Amen. And so one of the things I love about LeBron James' story is he w- there was this documentary called More Than a Game. It was really about that, more than a game, not just about him as a basketball player, but him as a, a, as, as a person who grew up with all these young guys in, in, in Akron. And, and part of that story of him growing up with these young guys is that, man, LeBron always wanted this brotherhood between these guys. That's all he really, LeBron really wanted was brotherhood and friendship. But if you look at 17 years later, after, you know, all his high school uh, phenomenon thing happened, 17 years later, you see all these guys who've benefited from LeBron's success. So some of us might be looking, man, they just rolled LeBron's coattails like the Cavs did last year. Amen. They did not. They did not. Hey, I love the Cavaliers, but LeBron had an amazing season last year. But they didn't ride LeBron's coattail. Let's look at Rich Paul. Rich Paul, he met Rich Paul in the Akron Canton Airport who was selling jerseys, throwback jerseys. Now Rich Paul is part of his inner circle, and Rich Paul is his agent. He's one of the most successful agents. Look at Maverick Carter. Maverick Carter was just a guy he knew growing up. And now Maverick Carter, Carter is, is his, business, uh, his business manager and diversifies LeBron James' brand. You might be looking at him, well, what is, what's the point? Here's the thing. Y'all might, y'all might be thinking, man, like, that's LeBron James. What does that have to do with the church? Here's the thing, church. 
If the world is doing that, then what are we doing in the church to support one another? If LeBron James can support his brothers, then why are we supporting the people who Christ has purchased for us to be our family? How are we supporting one another to look and, and grow in the likeness of Jesus, first and foremost? And, and here's the thing. Church, we cannot have a church without having responsibility for each other's spiritual and physical needs. See, look, 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 y'all. This world is so individualistic. I got to get mine. You got to get yours type of mentality. The church ought not be that way. We, don't, we shouldn't be individualistic. We, look, I think sometimes the world is so individualistic that we, we think everybody's out to get us or take advantage of us. Amen? Sometimes that's how we feel, that people don't really care about us, that people don't really want to care for us or love us. But no, that's not what it is. No one's trying to take advantage of you here in the church, and I hope not. See, but, but here's the thing. We got this hashtag that, that circled around, church hurt. Y'all remember that? Hashtag church hurt. Everybody told this experience about how the church hurt them. How, how they've been manipulated. They've been taken advantage of. They've been betrayed by the church. Here's the thing, church. I can't promise you that you will never be hurt by anybody in this church. I can't promise you that you're never going to feel like somebody's taking advantage of you in this church. But I can say that we will address it as a church. We're going to push each other to, to handle conflict in this church. We're going to push each other to live according to the way Scripture tells us to, to live. Here's the thing I want to tell you. all If you've been hurt in the church, don't continue to contribute to the narrative that the church isn't a safe place. Most of us do that all the time. We talk about the church in such a negative sense, as if this isn't Christ's body, who he purchased by his death. We had to love the church as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for us. That's the beauty of being a Christian. We recognize that our love is transformative in each other's lives. We don't sit back and say, hey, man, let's contribute and diss the church or let's diss other people in the church. Let's diss pastors. I know the narrative of this times. When's the last time you saw something positive about a pastor on a church, on social media? When's the last time you've seen something really positive about church on social media? Especially when the world talks about the church. We have to be different. We're called to be actively involved and committed to one another. And to take responsibility for one another. So if, you, if you're a person who's been hurt by a church, don't contribute, contribute to that narrative. But be, become a safe place for somebody else. Become a place of nurturing and love for somebody else. But become a place where truth will be spoken. Amen? Sometimes we get scared of this word called authority. We don't want to give people authority to speak into our lives. But the, that's what church membership is all about. That's what being a part of the church is all about. We need people to speak into our lives, and we need people to speak God's word into our lives. Let me give you, let me give you a little thing that I like to say to people. When God's word is spoken to you by somebody else, it should be spoken. In the, you, should, you should take it as, as God saying it to you. Here's what I mean. I'm going to give you an example. So, and, and I'm going to do it with my son, Josiah. Man, Joseph, me and my wife might be heated in a heated, like what I like to call heated debates. That's what me and my wife, we, get, we don't get in arguments, we get in heated debates about life. Um, 
And I remember sometimes my son Josiah says this to me. And he sees me getting upset. He sees me just like, mm, Sandy, you know what I'm saying? I'm getting heated. And Josiah says, Daddy, be nice. Oh, nothing. I can't stand when he says that. <laughs> I cannot stand it. But I'm reminded by God's word that, man, I have to dwell with my wife in an understanding way. That I love my wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That she's my bride. I need to be gentle and loving and caring. I need to be nice. Church, here's the thing. When God's word is spoken to you, I don't care who says it. You submit to it. We are to obey God's word. No matter who says it to us. And if we, don't, if we like them or we don't like them. Sometimes it's hard to do that because our feelings are so caught up in what we think about other people and, wh- and who said it and how they said it. And I agree. The Bible teaches us to speak truth and love. We're going to get there in a second. But here's the thing. When he tells me to be nice, I need to listen. But here's the thing. I think our, that's what our connection group should be like. Our connection group should be safe places where God's word is spoken. So when we connect as a church, our connection groups will be about safety and, and feeling nurtured and loved and cared for. But the way we need to care for each other is speaking God's truth to one another as well. But here's the thing. I want, I want to give you four things as I close my sermon, though. Four things in verse 13 through 16 that helps us support one another in the work that Christ is doing. First of all, in verse 13, we see in the second half, we see that we should support people in Christ-like character. It uses this phrase, with a stature, we should, meet, we should grow into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Here's the thing. God has called us to put on Christ-like character. Look at, look at the character of Christ that's mentioned even in this text, that we should be selfless, practicing restraint, patient, and have enduring love. Here's some other things. We should be kind to each other, approachable, generous, helpful, caring, concerned, honest, gracious. How many of our relationships are marked by these qualities right now? Are your relationships marked by these qualities? Second, we should be support each other in growth in what we believe. Look at the first part of 13. It says we should be, uh, we should be pursuing unity of the faith in what we believe. See, here's the thing. We're all in danger of believing lies. Amen? Here's what the church does. It helps us support what we believe. That that we we, we no longer are are children tossed around by every wind in doctrine. See, here's what a child does. A child believes anything that sounds good. Right? Amen? Man, child, children believe just about anything you tell them. And he's saying, don't be that way. Here's what it's saying is that we need help. We need help in what we believe, informing what we believe about Jesus. Believe in what we believe about life. We need people to come with us and, and journey with us in what we believe. Here's the thing. I'm walking with a brother in this church through a, a book called What is the Gospel? And as much as I, can, I, can, I want to admit that it's all about him, but it's really about us, I'm just as mutually encouraged by what we're talking about as he is. He might think, man, well, this is about me. Pastor Mo's pouring into my life. No, he's pouring into my life by asking questions I don't even want to ask myself sometimes. It's so good and rich. And, I, and I'm like, man, dude, like, that's a great question. I got to think about that sometimes. I can't be so prideful to think I don't need help in my own doctrine. Look at Paul. He even says it about some. Till we all reach unity in the faith. 
Paul says, I can be a, 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 a weak Christian as well. Here's the thing. I want, to, I want an action step for all of us. Go ask somebody how they came to know the Lord. Hear their testimony about Christ's goodness in their lives. That's why I love baptism in the life of this church. I love it because I love to see and hear how people came to know Jesus. And it's an encouragement to me. People think they're getting up and telling their story. It's just an encouragement to them to remind themselves. But it's a reminder to our church the beauty of the, the gospel. Here's a third way we can support one another. We can support each other in our conversations or how we speak. I love this. How it says this is speak truth in love. Let us grow up in every way. I'm telling you, church, the way we talk to each other matters. You can't imagine how much it matters. I I love it because it says it helps us grow up in every way. In Proverbs 18, it says the power of life and death is in the tongue. We have a huge responsibility to steward our words carefully. In verse 29 in chapter 4, it says that our words should give life or grace to those who hear. Man, grace is, it is about salvation, but it's also about transformation. That we should speak words that give life, that transform one another. Be truthful, meaning that we should be in step with Scripture. Here's the thing, man. Any advice or any words that people speak to you that contradict Scripture is like fool's gold. It sounds good, but it's worthless. Here's the thing. We need to be in tune with what God says about our lives and how we should live. Look, our words need to be truthful and they need to give hope. One of the things that, that grieves me sometimes is that we have a hopeless Christianity. That we're not putting on the identity that Christ has given us. That Christ has given us a victorious identity. And we should not be sitting here thinking like, man, I'm hopeless. I can never change. God has given us the power to change. That we don't need any longer to be surrendered ourselves to sin in our lives. We are victorious, church. And we should speak words that are transformative in each other's lives. We should speak the reality that is about us. That we are bought when purchased by Christ. We are his. We are to be servants of Jesus. We are slaves to righteousness, no longer slaves to sin. That's a reality we need to be speaking and reminding each other of. Speak words that give hope. When was the last time you helped somebody grow by reminding them that Christ has the power to change them? When was the last time you did? Lastly, we support each other in effectiveness. Verse 16. I like what it says. It says, man, from, the, from him, the whole body is being knit together. Let me just say this. Church, has it ever come to your conclusion, especially the members of Cornerstone, that God put you here for a purpose? It was his sovereign hand, his providential hand that put you here to be members of this church. We didn't, look, here's the thing. We didn't go, oh, man, I, I chose this church because it was a great church and I love the community and all that. But here's the thing. Did it ever come to your conclusion that God had purposed this before the creation of the world to put you to be a member of Cornerstone Church? To be a part of the work that God is doing here in the West End and in, inside the church. To help others mature. Sometimes we have an idea of saying, hey, I can pick and choose the church at will. But sometimes God wants us to be in a place for a reason so that we would mature and we can help others mature. That we can display the greatness of Jesus to everyone in our community. I love it when people tell me, man, I love to see when people come out of Cornerstone. I've heard from the neighbors. Look at the diversity. What's going on here? 
Look at the tenor of our community. Look at the tenor of the United States. There's no reason why black people and white people should be in the same room with different politics but calling each other brother and sister. This is the power of the gospel at work, people. God brought you at such a time as this to display his greatness, his, his awesomeness to the world. Man, praise God for what he's doing. So this church experience is not about you. It's about Christ's glory. It's about putting him on display. Don't think it's all about what you get out of. So many times we come to church, I'm not being fed. I'm not getting this. They don't have programs that meet my needs. That's all about you. How have you contributed to the glory of God? in the church, by staying united, by fighting for unity, by loving somebody who's hard to love, being committed to those who, who you really, man, I don't want to be committed to. If my marriage was like how people left the church, then we wouldn't survive. When you join this church, you have covenant with one another. Not for life. You can leave a church. I'm not saying you can't. But here's the thing. When we covenant with one another, take that thing seriously. Our church covenant is about expressing our commitments to one another, church. It's not saying it's, it, it's, it's something that we came up with as a church. It's something that we're saying that God has called all Christians to do. But here's the thing. If you're here and you're wondering, man, Mo, you're saying a lot of great stuff. Man, but I don't even know what it means to be a, a member or come to be a part of a church. First and foremost, if you're a non-believer here, First thing you've got to do is you can't embrace the church without embracing the head of the church. That's Jesus. Jesus Christ purchased you. If you believe he did, he purchased you from the hands of Satan into the hands of his family. There's no, there's no way to get around that. When Jesus Christ did his work on the cross, he brought you not into just oblivious isolation, but into a family. And so if you've got to trust that Jesus Christ has provided the means to pay for your sin, that what he did on the cross, he took the punishment for your sin, and that you will have new life in him and be a part of his family. If you're a Christian and you said, man, hey, I've had a problem with the church. I can't stand what the church is all about right now. Here's what I'm going to tell you right now. I'm going to caution you real quick. You can't say that you love Christ who's the head and not accept his body. We are the church. We are Christ's body. If you're going to embrace Jesus, you've got to embrace all of them. What does this mean for you practically? What it means is that, hey, become a member of a church. All membership means is just committing to a body of believers. You don't have to join this church, but you need to be a member of a church where you can live out the heart of even our church covenant to love and care for one another, nurturing one another, helping each other uh, uh, walk with Jesus for a lifetime. We like to use this phrase, preparing one another to meet Jesus. That's what we're committed to doing. And if you're a member of this church, let me just say this to you. Man, thank you. I'm going to tell you as a pastor, and I'm going to say it for real. That you are a gift to this church. We counted a pleasure as being pastors of this church. Man, it is so amazing to see, be around so many amazing people, so many loving and caring people. You are a gift to this church. But I want to leave you with one instruction. Put your gifts to work to love and care for people in this church. Fight for unity. Don't give up 
on people so easily. I know it's hard. Here's the thing. The people, I'm not talking about just the current members, but even past members. They were gifts to this church. See, all those awkward moments in, 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 in our member meetings, they're helping grow us up, right? Amen? They're helping show us if we can really be committed to one another. Here's the thing. God has called us to fight for unity. He's called us because we are displaying his greatness to the world. We are to walk in love. See, our love comes from Christ's love. If there's an example of what it means to give everything for the sake of unity, it's Jesus. The Bible is clear that God did not spare any expense by sending his son to die on our behalf. With his motive of love, God sent his son to, to, to go to the cross so that we would have a relationship with him. He gave everything for us so that we would know him and enjoy him forever. So that we would benefit. It was for our benefit. Christ is self-sufficient. Uh, God is, in, in, in the triune God is self-sufficient within itself. But he did it for our benefit. Man, what are we doing for each, each other's benefit? How are we loving each other for each other's benefit? We are called to be prisoners of the Lord to embody this message. We are called to embrace and model the gospel every day of our lives within this church. God has provided a family for you, for those who feel like they've never had a family in their lives. God has provided a family for you. For people like me who grew up in a broken home, God has provided with me such wonderful brothers and sisters. And here's the thing, y'all. The church is a family. It's not like a family. Family helps us grow up. That's what family does. It helps us grow up. We got to ask ourselves, are we growing? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you, Lord, for just getting me through this sermon because of my voice. God, thank you for uh, not hindering your work in people's lives, but calling your church to live according to Scripture. Father, I thank you for your your benevolent love to us, Father, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us back to God. Thank you, Jesus, for your, your grace and mercy in our lives. God, I pray that this sermon, Lord, did not fall on deaf ears, but on people's hearts who had already been prepared because of the work of your Holy Spirit in their lives. God, thank you for your, your grace to us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.